Welcome to Third Floor Views, where we at Chesapeake Family Life talk about health, education, and living with kids. I'm your host, Janet Jefferson. So Chesapeake Family recently launched the Best Places to Live directory, and it's a great resource for families to learn about neighborhoods that are family friendly. And you can even use the compare tool to see differences between neighborhoods. We're always adding more neighborhoods to the directory. So if you want to suggest one neighborhood or another, just send us an email or post on Facebook and uh, we could add it to the directory. So with that, talking about real estate, that's why we're here today. We are going to discuss neighborhoods. We're going to discuss buying and selling and the current market. Joining us today is Liz Montaner, a real estate agent from Coldwell Banker. She specializes in buying and selling homes in the central Anne Arundel County area. Thank you so much for being here today, Liz. Welcome, happy to be here. Liz, let's jump right in. So first, I really wanna ask right now, what are your clients with kids looking for when they're shopping for neighborhoods? Well, obviously for young families, it, it usually starts with schools. Schools are hugely important. Unfortunately, as a realtor, we cannot really comment whether school A is better than school B because we don't, we, we have certain fair housing rules that we have to abide by. So we generally direct buyers to various websites. There's greatschools.org, a variety, school digger is another one. Then they often look for, you know, what would our family's life like be in this particular community? Obviously, in greater Annapolis area, people are often looking for water privileges to great gathering spots. I know that's why we moved to the areas. We really wanted to raise our children on the water, which is a completely different experience. And that's something that we always look for. And then just in general, the community, does it feel right? Does it feel like a good fit for the family? I remember when I first moved to the neighborhood in Severna Park that we raised our family as I followed the school bus around and saw the kids that got off the bus and tried to figure out if I thought it would be a good fit as a friend for my children. So, but beyond that, the other component I would say is families are lo really looking for turnkey houses, hmm. um, properties that do not require a lot of updates. Their lives are very busy, often two jobs are going on, and they really don't have the time, inclination, or a lot of times the extra cash to do improvements. So they really want updated homes with, you know, as many sort of quality finishes as possible. So that's kind of a common request. That makes sense. Being a, a, a family with young children myself, that sounds, that sounds pretty good. So in your opinion, what do you think are some of the best neighborhoods for families? And that's including both really popular ones right now, but then maybe up and coming neighborhoods for families, and then maybe also some hidden gems. Well, I have to tell you, this is another kind of fair housing question. Mm that we as realtors, we have, we take an oath as far as abiding by fair housing. So when buyers ask us those questions, we have to be really careful because uh, a good neighborhood for buyer A might in fact be not as good of a neighborhood as, you know, for buyer B. So we really, when, when people are trying to get a sense of whether a neighborhood is a good fit, we always encourage buyers to drive through the community at different times of the day. Just hmm. a feeling of what the, is there a lot of commuters in the neighborhood? What's the traffic like going in and out? 
just to try and obviously there's a lot of information on the web as well. But what we have to be careful about as realtors is directing, steering people into specific neighborhoods. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't elaborate more on this neighborhood or that neighborhood. I, all I can do is I can tell you what was right for us. And that is we really wanted to be near the water. That was a huge thing for our family. And that's just something that some people like. I think I will also say that I would encourage young families to buy into neighborhoods that they can grow into. Mm. In words, there's some truisms about real estate that are still relevant today. And that is that you want to, the old adage of trying to buy the worst house in the best neighborhood still has some real truth today. Mm -hmm. That's going to give you room to grow. And if you're buying at either the bottom or no higher than the middle of a neighborhood, in other words, there's other houses in that neighborhood that are much grander than yours, you've got room to grow. And that's an important thing. If you buy in at the top end of the neighborhood and you start doing any customization, your ability to um, appreciate and be able to down the road get out of that house with some degree of increase in profit and so forth is greatly diminished. So, and the other thing, as I always tell families, even though they're looking for a turnkey, I always say, you know, to have a project or two is not a bad thing because then you don't have to just rely on appreciation. You can also contribute to the value of the property by finishing a basement or adding a deck or something along those lines. So it is good to have multiple ways to have your house ultimately worth more five, seven, even 10 years down the road. Yeah, that's great advice. And I think it's really helpful for, for people to remember too. And, and and thank you too for sharing about the fair housing. It makes so much sense when you think about it, but but so important to have that in there. But then as a family, as you know, a, a buyer thinking about, okay, what are your resources? And I think your advice of driving around a neighborhood and really yeah. making sure that you understand it and doing your homework in your own way is so important. I will say in this area, I'm originally from Connecticut area, which is a little more, there are many areas of Connecticut that are quite homogeneous. I will say the greater Annapolis area can be very eclectic, hmm. sometimes confusing to new buyers coming into the area. Um, so you really have to spend some time in doing drive-bys before you really get a feeling for what a neighborhood is like. It's not always as, as predictable as other parts of the country. So I do encourage buyers to definitely spend some time in their cars and get a feeling for particular neighborhoods. So I think that's that's really great advice. And then doing your homework in that respect. But what are some other common missteps that families often make in choosing a new home? And what do you do to steer them towards success? So driving around a neighborhood or trying to learn a little bit more about schools. Are there other things that you recommend or common things that people do that maybe are a bad idea? Well, I would say in general that young people today of which I'm not a member of that particular group, are very focused in on finishes. Thank you, HGTV magazine. <laughs> um, H it's been great. It's given people a lot of ideas and a lot of suggestions. But literally, I'll have some families come in in the house that we sold in Severna Park. 
was built in the 1950s. We definitely did some upgrades to the property, but it was a really beautiful community, one of the most sought after, in fact, in Severna Park. And these buyers came up on the front porch of our house asking if I had any Brazilian cherry floors in this house. And I said, no, we don't have any Brazilian cherry floors. We are four houses from the Severn River. We are less than a half a mile to a wonderful elementary school. We are one way into our community surrounded by water. It, the, the lifestyle of living in this house is amazing. The finishes you can always improve. You know, that's something that you can do over time. What you can't do is change the location. And people need to sort of get out of the house a little bit and really look around and think about what would my life be like in this property? I'm a big lifestyle seller. It's, I'm also a big lifestyle buyer. I buy with lifestyle in mind and I adjust the house to, to make it work for us, but I don't start with the house. And I, we have never lost money in real estate because mm. we've always stretched to get into the best community we could. And we've always thought about lifestyle and we've improved the house over time. And as a result, we've done really well. So I, I just try and get the young people not to be so focused on finishes because I think in the long run, you can always improve those, but you can't pick the house up and move it someplace else. Yeah, exactly. You cannot change that location. Right, um, right. You can always change the house. Right. So if you have decided to sell your house, how does a person or a family go about choosing an agent if you don't know one? And then when you are choosing, how do you ensure that the agent meets your needs? So sort of what advice do you have to families on how to pick a real estate agent? Right. And so we'll get into the market in a little bit, but I will tell you that uh, just as in general, the market is very strong right now for sellers. Yes. Really challenging for buyers. And so, and sellers often sometimes in a market like this think to themselves, well, maybe we don't even need an agent. Mm -hmm. And I won't say that's never the case. I think there is occasionally a couple or someone who is really skilled in marketing, who is very businesslike in their approach, who's willing to do all the steps and take a businesslike approach to their house, which is very difficult to do. Houses are probably just such a personal thing. It's such a reflection of who we are. It's really easy to get wrapped up in the emotion of the house and how you present it. But there are some people that could potentially do it if they had the time, energy, and money. But I will tell you that in general, using an agent, depending on what research study that you use, can will bring you on an average between 16 to 20% more net profit than not using an agent. And that is still the case. I think some people are kind of surprised by that, but that's backed up by about five or six major studies, including the National Association of Realtors and so forth. I believe Zillow has a, um, has a study as well. So it's something to really consider very carefully. And we actually have a for sale by owner package that we hand out to any seller who thinks they want to give it a try. Obviously, uh, we say at the end, if for some reason it doesn't work out, we'd love the opportunity to try and list your list and sell your house. But as far as how to get ready for the market and how to choose an agent, I always recommend speaking more than one agent. Hmm. 
it's, we all know people in real estate. I mean, on average, I think most people know three to five other agents mm-hmm. and sort of always tempted to go with somebody we know well or a family friend or so forth. That can work out and it cannot work out. Uh, I think what you have to realize is this is a business decision and you have to treat it like that. It's your biggest asset and you really have to take a very um, professional approach to it. You need to be able to uh, speak freely with your agent. You need a really good communication system. And as far as choosing the agent, you wanna obviously look at their production what, what are they, how many houses are they selling and not just selling in general, but selling in the community or the area that your house is, is in? How many is on market? What are their stats? Who handles, you know, do they do staging? Who, you know, where do they get their photographer from? What sort of regular communication are they going to have? Are, are they recommending open houses? Or, I mean, there's just a lot of different Um, In the world of photography, you know, that has gotten so highly specialized. The photos are really your first showing and you need them to be really terrific. So some people will say, oh, well, if it's such a hot market, why do we have to do all that? So I strongly believe that it is in your best interest to prepare the house regardless of the market. You always want to put your best foot forward. You have one opportunity to make a first impression. And if it is really looking spectacular on the photos and the showing experience is also really positive, what you're going to do is you're going to attract a lot of buyers with a lot of emotion. And the goal is always to get more than one offer in this particular market. That's pretty happens frequently. And when you get two and three offers, the opportunity to get the price bidded up quite a bit is is exponentially occurs. So I'm all about really putting your best foot forward. And you need an agent who's really going to go to bat for you and and Mm -hmm. best light on your property. So with that, with selling a house, what are some things that you recommend that people do to get their house ready to sell? Right. Well, it starts really um, as somebody comes down the street, they're making decisions about the neighborhood and then they pull up the house. And there's, you've heard a million times about the importance of curb appeal, but it's really important. You really need to look at the landscaping, power washing, you know, just the general approach to the house, touch touch up paint outside, you know, just the lawn and everything should look really top notch. If you have a front porch, you want a couple of rocking chairs or Adirondack chairs, something very inviting into the house. And then once you get in, you know, you should obviously have taken care of any small minor repairs. You want the house to really pop. You want to declutter it. You want to depersonalize it. Doesn't mean you have to strip it bare. I actually like a little personality in a house because I think that's more intriguing to people. What you don't want people, buyers, potential buyers doing is getting very caught up in your stuff. Hmm. You want to focus in on the house. So we usually typically will take up rugs because, of course, hardwood is very popular today. That's really what we're selling. We don't want somebody, we want to be able to showcase the the um, floors if they need a little touch-up work, if they need some rebuffing or finishing or something, we certainly recommend it. Some touch-up paint. I mean, we spent quite a bit of money in selling our house, our family home of 22 years, but we got it back 
and then some. So it really is a good idea. Get back to the notion that most buyers today are looking for turnkey. When, when they come to the third project, whatever that may be, they, it's maybe, okay, it needs a new HVAC system. It needs, you know, the, the bathroom tile in the boys' bathroom is pink. Whatever it is, when they get to the third project, a lot of times they're sort of crossing that house out. Hmm. So you got to give that some thought and make sure that you've done everything you possibly can to have it be as close to turnkey as possible. And that's going to pay you back in spades as far as this final sales price. So invest a little bit up front and then you're going to get it back when you actually you should, sell the house. You should. Yeah. Especially in a market like this. I mean, this market, actually, I got my license in 06, but I didn't start working till 07. Mm-hmm. This is 05 and then some. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this is the strongest market we've seen in over you know 15 years. It's really crazy. And um, that's good. And it's also concerning because- it's not necessarily sustainable. And at some point you start to really outprice people. And, and then if somebody wants to get out of it in three or four years, there's some concern as to whether they're going to be out of it. So that gets into our whole conversation about the market and where the market is now and where it may be headed. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So yeah. So this, this it, is crazy. Said, it's pretty incredible. You know, the impact of the pandemic, you know, nobody knew it was completely unprecedented. Nobody knew where we could possibly be headed. And I think most early forecasts were, was not real positive. Right. The bottom could fall out. Um, In fact, the exact opposite really happened. I think there's a lot of speculation and a lot of theories, but, you know, people ended up spending a lot of time in their houses Mm-hmm. And it either worked for them or it didn't work for them. And also the other big thing that happened is they, they you know, started working from home, compounded by just spending more time in home. And that became a new way to work. And I think that the greater Annapolis area could potentially really benefit from this long term. Mm-hmm. We are an extremely desirable community with just amazing amenities and recreational opportunities. I've always been a little surprised that we haven't seen more appreciation over the last 10 years mm-hmm. uh, as Washington has had spikes after spikes. We've always sort of been the slow and steady two to three percent appreciation. That has all changed. And I think what's happening to a certain extent, we don't have enough data yet, but I think a lot of people in DC and certainly Baltimore, but a little more DC just because of our location, are discovering they don't have to go into the office every day. Mm-hmm. And that's the case, why do we have to live in a small condo when we can be close to the water, close to colleges and arts and festivals and, you know, all the vibrancy of this community. And it's just fueling, whether it's fueling a drive for a new primary residence or whether it's fueling a drive for a secondary residence, which we've always had a number of secondary homes here. But we could, this area could be on a whole new projection. And I think we'll see, we should probably know, you know, certainly by the end of the year, beginning of next, where we're headed. But it's, it's pretty amazing. Just to give you some stats, 
for Anne Arundel County, uh, January through March of this year versus last year in sales volume, we're up 30, almost 32% in volume. This is for Anne Arundel County. It's crazy. Our average sold price for Anne Arundel County is up 13%. Average days on market is down 51% from 49 days on average days on markets to 24. It's just, we don't see numbers like this. And then in Annapolis, same thing, similar. We're up 30% in volume. Our average sold price is up almost 20%. Average days on market is down to 38 days on market, which is actually a long time right now. Yeah. I say, well, 48 hours, 72 hours to get your house sold. I mean, it's that kind of crazy. Now, this is assuming you've done all the right things and that your house doesn't have any major hurdles, i.e., you know, some an eyesore or some proximity to, you know, there's a, a number of things that could prevent you from experiencing all of this. But clearly, uh, we're in a, a much stronger, and I also pulled the Saverna Park. Saverna Park is still up considerably in volume, but not as much as Annapolis. It's up 15%, which is still enormous, and a median sold price up 14%. So, Across the board, the market is extremely strong. And our biggest problem, of course, is we don't have enough inventory. We, right. We've sold pretty much. We, a normal, healthy market is about six months of inventory. That's when buyers and sellers have sort of equal power. Mm-hmm. We consider that kind of a balanced market. When we were in the height of the, the down market, 08, 09, 010, we had about 18 months of inventory. Wow. Now we have less than one month. We have about 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 of a month of inventory. It's just ridiculous. So, and part of the problem, of course, some people are reluctant to sell because, of course, then they have to figure out where they're going. But, you know, we are out there really searching for inventory, and I'm encouraging anybody who's ever, you know, thought about it, um, especially if they're moving out of the area, perhaps to, you know, an area that's not as much in demand, this is absolutely the high water mark. And hmm. nobody is predicting an end to this. I mean, obviously that we, we live in cycles, that's part of real estate, but most uh prostignators are saying that through 2021, people feel pretty strongly. Do have a population, of course, that is not in good shape. They've lost their jobs. They've, you know, there's, you know, small entrepreneurs, and it's a pretty substantial population. And we haven't really seen the impact of that group. You know, they're still getting some stimulus help and so forth. But at some point, that population is going to have some impact. But right now, it's just, it couldn't be a better time to sell. So thinking about that, if we're not seeing any end in sight to this, and it's a really tough market for buyers, what do you recommend to buyers? How do you get the house that you want? What does it take to get the winning offer? Well, you do have to have an agent. I I can't, tell you how important that is. And not just any agent, you have to have a really good agent that is privy to what is going on in the market, 
and and actually there's this whole thing called coming soon an exclusive look mm-hmm. so it used to be just you know you signed a listing agreement you prep the house and it went on the mls now there is actually two precursors to the mls so there's something called exclusive look and that's a time period where a brokerage can market their listings to other agents within their brokerage and their own client base. They're not out to the masses yet. It's, you know, and Caldwell Banker, of course, is a very large, very successful. So we, it gives, it is a real uh, good tool that we can use because we do have so many agents in the area, but it's a great time that we can test a price we can get some feedback on condition. We can get a few agents in the property, get some feedback on, and we could actually sell it during that time period. The next step is going on to the MLS under coming soon status. That's when the agent population can see new inventory coming on, but the consumers, it's still not on Zillow's or realtor.coms or that. And so we, and actually once it goes into coming soon, we're not allowed to show it during that time. It's mm-hmm. kind of weird rules, but I didn't make them. <laughs> Somebody else did. And then finally we turn it on to the full MLS. Now, if, if a buyer doesn't see it till then, then it's kind of crazy frenzy, you know? Mm-hmm. So the goal would be to try and see it when it's in that early exclusive period or you can't see it, but I gotta tell you that I have written three offers in the coming soon status sight unseen. They have not actually gotten into the house. And I said to them, I know this is risky, it doesn't feel right, but once it goes on the MLS, you are gonna be in competition with five, 10, 20 other buyers. And if this, if looking at these pictures checks enough boxes to you and you're okay with this, I recommend going forward with an offer. Now we can then, we do have some outs once you get under contract. We certainly have inspections as a possibility if the house is in a a condo association or an HOA a buyer has five to seven days to review those documents. And if anything is objectionable, they can get out. They don't even have to tell the seller why they're getting out. So there are some outs to that process. So you really do need a really strong agent with their feet on the ground, who's very tapped in, who has a good network to find out about inventory before it comes on. But we have our, my crew has a competitive offer checklist I'm always encouraging agents in my office to make sure they make really competitive offers. And it starts with a high earnest money deposit. Don't just do the minimum because you're going to get that money back anyways. Sellers, most sellers like a pretty quick settlement date. There is occasionally a seller that wants to wait longer. If that your buyer's agent should always be asking the listing agent, does the seller have a preferred settlement date? If you have the flexibility, of course, cash is great. Everybody loves cash. If not, then you, you know, a conventional loan is typically going to win a bidding war over a VA or an FHA loan. Mm -hmm. Typically, local lenders are viewed more favorably than, you know, internet, national, out of town, somebody in California, because nobody knows that person. There's no investment in the community. You want to... Reduce your inspections. You know, I'm a big believer that everybody should do an inspection, but you know, 
sometimes depending on the property, that's certainly something that you could look to cut back on. There's something called love letters to the seller. I'm sure you all have heard those. That's when, you know, our family has always loved this community and your house has, we could envision raising our children in there. So the thing about love letters is we have to be very careful with them. They really should come directly from the buyer to the seller. The agent really shouldn't have a lot of, because we're back to fair housing issues. And the big no-no is photos. You're not to send a photo with this type of family that looks like this to a seller um, is not something that an agent should be involved in because we always are subscribing to fair housing rules. So um, we have to be very careful with those letters. And again, you, you'll chat with your, your lit agent as to what the best price is. Our escalation clauses, there are, I'll tell you one thing that I love, although it can be a little tricky, is to offer a seller rent. Mm. So sellers would love to pocket the money, the proceeds of their house before they have to then they could go out themselves and be a non-contingent buyer. Mm -hmm. So we've done rent backs for two and three months with no rent and sellers love that. Mm. Now, of course, you know, there are a little hurt, couple of hurdles you have to watch out for if that's the path you choose to go, but that can be very compelling. It takes the, all the stress out of the buy sell for the sellers and, the other thing is appraisal shortfalls. How are you going to handle those if they come up? Are you going to write up front that you'll try to absorb it if that was to happen as opposed to expect the seller to absorb that? Tight time limits. That, that would probably be my last thing I would recommend. You always want in a competitive market like this, in my opinion, you always want to include a time limit to your offer, whether 24, 48, 72 would be a long, 72 hours would be a long time limit. I'm usually looking for about 24 hour time limit. What that says to the seller is we've put forth a great offer and mm -hmm. we'd like to hear back from you within a day. Because what we don't want you to do, Mr. Seller, is take our great offer and have your agent call every single, uh, any other person that has been through that house and said, hey, anybody else want to come in? Now, what they cannot do is share the terms of our offer, but they can encourage other offers to come in. So we want a really quick response in this competitive market. It's, sometimes if the sellers are really elderly, I usually talk to the listing agent and I say, are they okay with the time limit? Is this going to upset them or overwhelm them? The most important thing is that the agents are talking all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, that's in critical communication is to get input from the other side. What is the position? What's the perspective? What are the priorities of the other side? And then you incorporate that into your offer. Mm -hmm. So Liz, would you buy right now? <laughs> well, <laughs> it depends. It's clearly an intense time. You have to have your ducks in a row. But if, if we continue to see this appreciation, if we continue to see, and again, I'm constantly reading Wall Street Journal and all kinds of indicators, then and I know that a move is on my horizon at some point, sure, 
I mean, if I can find the right product and I can get in early and I can put together a competitive offer and I can see a project that we could do that could improve the value, yes, it, it you can and you should. You know, what I would caution against is, you know, jumping into, you know, a multi-multi-bidding war. I just, you know, you got to be cautious because clearly in this market, it's easy to, you know, go to a level that would take quite a long time potentially to, uh, because there is, there is cost in transferring properties, as we know. Mm-hmm. And Maryland is not the most expensive place to transfer property, but, you know, it's certainly up there. So there are costs. So you, you want to make sure that you're, you know, staying within reason. And then, you know, the neighborhood is critical as well. You know, you want to make sure if it's, if it's in a, in a good neighborhood with a, you know, you can tell an improving, appreciating kind of projection, you should be okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much Liz, yeah. for joining us today and answering all of our questions about real estate and the crazy market we're in right now. We love to hear your thoughts, comments, and questions. If you enjoyed what you heard today, check out more at thirdfloorviews.com. I'm Jenna Jefferson. This is Third Floor Views. Thank you for listening.